They're coming to get you, Barbara. I don't know what you come to do, but I come to praise me. Because you'll never be anything but a common frump whose father lived over a grocery store and whose mother took in washing. What is good, good people? Welcome to Who Shot Ya? The small screen edition. That's right. I said small screen edition, yo. In addition to watching movies, we sometimes watch television. I am your host, Ricky Carmona. Joining me in the studio are film reviews editor at The Wrap. He is El Mero Mero de Navidad, the one and only Alonzo Duralde. Hey, Ricky. Hey, Alonzo. Oh, and to my left here, it is the one and only, the host of the Switchblade Sisters podcast. It's sometimes it snows in April. April Wolf. April, how are you? I'm doing great. (laughs) (laughs) Sell it. (laughs) And because we love you, our loyal Max Fun listeners, so much, we decided that if we are going to talk TV, we had to do it right, y'all. So with us in the studio, it is none other than TV's Brian Fuller. Brian, before you start talking, please let me. No, no, let me throw out some. Listeners credits. are gonna think he's not even here. Like he's, <laughs> we're just making it up. No, he's here, y'all. He's here, y'all. And I'm going to throw out some credits right now. Star Trek, check. Dead like me, check, check. Wonderfalls, check, check, check. April, huge fan. I'm not done yet, though. I'm not done. Pushing daisies, Hannibal. And American gods. Boom, 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 boom. What? Mr. Fuller, thank you for being here, sir. What is good with you besides every project that you put your hands on, sir? Aw, thank you for uh, having me. Um, What's good with uh, dogs? Dogs are good. (laughs) Dogs are always good. Yes, always. They're our greatest teachers. That's my go-to good thing. Oh, I support that. You have a dog? I have two. Oh, nice. I say dogs and then a very... Far second children, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Now, normally each week we go around and I say what's good with us, but today I want to go around and ask my co-hosts what is good about our Max Fun listeners. April, I'll start with you. Um, they are very astute listeners and film watchers. I can tell from the reviews and the tweets that we get. Um, and not just because they often agree with the opinion that I throw out, <laughs> but because... Um, they want to continue the conversation after, and that's something that I just absolutely appreciate. People who um, see, you know, film criticism um, as a, a dialogue starter, not just something that shuts it down and says, you know, this is like good or not good, but something that we can continue to talk about for m- many months to come. Absolutely, Alonzo. Yeah, I, I love how quickly uh, people have really tuned in and gotten on the bandwagon with this. I mean, uh, we've been doing this show for less than a year, and I feel like uh, the level of engagement that I get on Twitter and on Facebook, where people are into it, and they, yeah, they want to talk about this stuff. You know, when we ask questions before a show, hey, we're going to discuss this topic. What are some things you like? We get tons of answers, and they're really smart, mm-hmm. engaged, like, you know, intelligent answers that I'm always impressed by. So, yeah, y'all are doing it right. Yeah, yeah. Uh uh, are you... I love everybody too. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I knew you were gonna fit in, Brian. I knew it, yo. <laughs> I, I I I love how excited everybody does get about uh, talking to us uh, on our Facebook page, on Twitter. 
Uh, I mean, it, if you listen to the show, it is very obvious. Uh, Alonzo knows what the hell he's talking about. April knows what the hell they're talking about. I just like to post, I loved this movie so much. Ricky is the glue that holds <laughs> everything absolutely. together. Don't undersell this. And uh, our listeners, I, I just feel like I can just speak to them in a very just straightforward fashion about whether it's how I think Bat Dance is the best song on the Batman soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so bold. They jump right in. Uh, it is just, <laughs> It is just a pleasure to uh, talk to them. Uh, non-stop. So thank you all very much, listeners, for being the best out there. Now, since this is our, this is our first ever uh, Who Shot Ya TV episode, I thought we'd start with this. How much uh, TV would you say that you watch, Brian, uh, in an average week? Oh, God, not not nearly enough. Uh, maybe two hours? Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's a, it's a sad state of affairs. <laughs> Or not, just a productive state of affairs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Someone's busy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when I'm when I have the flu, it's a glorious time because I do actually binge watch, and I have to be. I'm sort of uh, like Daniel Day Lewis's character in uh, in the Phantom Thread that I have to be down and out to elect TV. <laughs> <laughs> How many mushrooms do you eat before you sit down? <laughs> Actually, make me an omelet. The new season of Jessica Jones just got. <laughs> I am just now getting over getting over being sick, and I watched seven episodes of Jessica Jones in I did one too. day. Yes. I did too. I yeah. totally did. I got we both got sick at the same time. Yep. I was just like, nope. I guess I'm just watching that. This is this is what's happening. <laughs> That's my this life. Is what's what's happening. Happening. <laughs> now, if you're watching, uh, you say an average of two hours. Uh, is it that, what what genre of television would that follow? Would it be like is it an hour drama or uh, are you watching just like I thirty the, minute shows? I love the FX half hours. I feel incredibly productive watching them because I can get almost three in uh, for a little over an hour, and so I love Baskets. I love Atlanta. I think those shows are really doing interesting things about outsiders from completely different perspectives. And the half-hour dramedy format feels like it, it allows you to have a full experience without too much time consumption. So it, it I, I, thank you, FX. Please keep giving us those half-hour dramedies. Atlanta is amazing. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. It's I love it so much. I've watched the first two episodes and I haven't watched the third episode because I think I just want to wait for the season to end and then just watch them all like an extended movie. It's, oh, I hate saying the hacky thing of there's nothing else like TV on it right now, yeah. but I really just feel like there's not a lot like what's happening in Atlanta right now. And there's also Baskets, too. Uh, Louis um, Anderson's Christine Baskets is probably the best character on television at this point. She, you know, the the turning point of the first season of Baskets for me because I was watching it and I was enjoying it, and I love Zach Galifianakis and I love Martha Kelly so much. And uh, it was the Easter episode where I was like, I I'm weeping openly about this family, mm-hmm. and it crossed over from this bizarre slice of life into something that was genuinely emotional and and authentic. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I I got to catch up because uh, you know, I I started baskets and it, the first 
two didn't do it for me. But mm. the, I, there's a thing I'm noticing now where, like, I'll see the first couple of episodes of the show. I don't think it's funny. And then two years later, everybody's talking about how it's so great. It's like, ah, I, have yeah. to, I didn't give it enough a chance. You know, Bob's Burgers, I, I had that problem. I, yes. So and Bob's Shit's Burgers. Creek. Both of those shows, I like, yeah. I, di- I ditched early because I wasn't laughing. And then everybody loves them. But, you know, the the, the we live in the age of too freaking much television right yeah. now. Like, I mean, I logged onto Netflix. It literally says something like, we just added 50 new shows and movies. Like, no, stop, Netflix. <laughs> yeah. 700, isn't it 700 in 2019? Or 20, uh, yeah, 2019, yeah, they said they're going to have 700 insane. titles. And so, like, you just, I, I, the conversation that I have with everybody now is, have you seen Blah? No, I haven't. Oh, my God, you have to. Yeah, that's not happening. Like, that's pretty much it lately. I, I feel, I, you know, I, there's so much, you know, w- w- you know, I do some recaps on What the Flick, and uh, we've had people who will say, oh, why aren't you all doing this show? Why aren't you doing this other show? And and I, my stock answer is now, we are all going to spend the rest of our lives watching all of the shows that are on right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Television has become a very messy closet, and if you don't know what garment you're going to put in when you walk through that door, you're... <laughs> Can you're fudged? You can you can curse. <laughs> you're walking out wearing an old episode of Family Matters. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Also a great show. Yeah, yeah. No, no disrespect. Yeah. No disrespect. Yeah. Uh, Stephen and Stefan Urkel. Uh, there, I, w- I was falling into the trap where I felt like I had to watch shows just to keep up with what everyone else is watching. And then I just wasn't enjoying anything. Mm. I wasn't enjoying any of it. It becomes homework. Yeah, very very much so. I'm only on episode six of season one of Stranger Things. Oh, wow. And episode 10 of season three of Twin Peaks. And those are are your alley. (laughs) They are my alley. And yet I, I don't have frequently the time to walk down them and it's so easy to say well if i look at my phone you're not gonna get another episode you have to like keep me entrenched and if i look at my phone that's when the binge stops on that particular oh shit that's a really nice rule that i should probably use myself (laughs) (laughs) instead of keep watching if you look at your phone while you're watching where you're binging you're not binging the right show (laughs) Uh, so, uh, would Stranger Things, Twin Peaks, is that kind of like your wheelhouse of, of what you enjoy as far as television? The wheelhouse is pretty, it's a big wheel. It's a very big wheel. I I would say right now my go-to, I'm making myself uh, lunch and I'm eating it, is uh, Rick and Morty. I can <laughs> just go, I keep going back to Rick and Morty reruns because they are so richly layered and actually will surprise you with genuine dramatic writing and insightful uh, uh, expressions of humanity that that have no business being on that cartoon and yet they they consistently surprise i still come from the world of like i'm an 80s kid and cartoon i mean even saying cartoons now i feel like i'm being disrespectful but just like animated shows Animated did. graphic novels is what they <laughs> I believe you mean. <laughs> I didn't watch them expecting how much is put into them as far as like Rick and Morty. Like, and, and I've only seen maybe four episodes, but I think it's the second or third episode where the dog becomes sentient. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, this is one of the best things I've ever seen on television <laughs> in my life. I just thought that was so great. Like animation is one thing that I still feel like I need to give it 
more of a shot. And there's a lot going on right now in terms of, of new animated shows that, that are surprising people. The, the appetite is, is increasing. And, and also with so many streaming services, they're looking at how can we reintroduce animation for this audience who's now so used to consuming in mass quantities, where can we take them with new animation storytelling? We were talking before we uh, started the show about um, the the kinds of shows that can appeal to you know what studio execs might call the four quadrant, um, being the the adults you know won't lose the adults but kids will love them too. And do you see that uh, as something like an avenue that is still to be tapped in television or? There are shows that are, I mean, I, I hate to say that there is something yet untapped in television because we have too much already. I think if you dig deep, you'll probably find some that have a nice appeal to them, to, to everybody, but not in that Muppet movie sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't, I, that, that the Muppet movie sweet spot has not been found and stimulated by, uh, by content providers for me yet. Hmm. Content providers, <laughs> get Take on it. Listen up. Although I mean, I, although I, I just I feel the way that people consume media now with their screens, it's such a solitary experience, and everything is so sort of narrow cast in a way. In mm-hmm. terms of like you know, this is for boys ages eight to eleven, and that's that, and and there are enough of them that they don't have to appeal to anybody else. And so it's interesting that even if people are still trying to sort of widen their scope. That well, niche is a demographic. Yeah. Yep. And that's that's kind of exciting for you know people like myself who love niche storytelling. But it is it is interesting when you're looking at say Apple entering the content market and wanting a very specific Apple brand to the types of stories they tell because those stories are going to be playing inside Apple stores all over the world. So it has to be regulated in a way that that you wouldn't necessarily regulate if it was Netflix. Hmm, interesting. Is there any one show that made you, I mean, this is going back to when, when you were young and started watching television, that made you want to work in television? What was the one? Was there one where it was like, I'm The Twilight that. Zone. Yeah, huh? The Twilight Zone. It, it, and mainly because it, it, it told stories by breaking outside of the parameters of reality. And that was very exciting. I, a, a personal anecdote, when I was a child playing t-ball, I was very perplexed why I got struck out when I ran to left field when I was in a pickle. I was like, fuck it, you have to catch me. And they were like, you're out. And I was like, don't call me out. That's, I, I, I was not touched by the ball. So uh, there's, there is something to say about that level of, of specificity and in, in, in what you're finding everywhere. Do you have a favorite Twilight Zone episode? Uh, the After Hours, Anne Francis, where she goes to return a thimble in the department store and discovers that she's not actually a person. She's a mannequin who yes. is on momentary leave and has to give up that spot to the next person in line who is waiting very patiently for her to get back and get her shit together so they could go out and experience the world. Oh, mm. that's so dope. I, I I don't know what the name is of the of the episode, but I remember seeing it as a kid and being like, this is the scariest shit I've ever seen in my life. It's an episode where it's this couple that is uh, in this town, and I feel like they wake up with amnesia, 
and they keep getting on this train oh, yeah, yeah, that they yeah, think yeah. is going to take them out of the they, town. They, they, they get drunk, and then they wake up, and they're on this train, and they can't get out of the town. It yes. turns out they're in like the alien toy set. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah, a great yeah. one. And then it comes down, and like this like baby hand comes down at the end <laughs> and picks them up, and I'm like... Was the baby hand holding an apple? <laughs> <laughs> I just remember being like an eight-year-old boy and being like, I need my mom to come get me away from this television right now. I am freaking out. <laughs> the, the mannequin thing kind of reminds you. Have you ever seen that... that uh, the the thing that Stephen Sondheim created for television called uh, Morning No Evening Primrose. Mm-mm. It's about a, 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 a uh, Anthony Perkins goes into this department store at night and finds there are all these people who live there as like mannequins basically, and he falls in love with one of the women, and and it, and it becomes this whole thing of whether or not they're allowed to stay or whether they'll be forced to be mannequins for the rest of their lives, and it's a musical, and it, it's actually pretty cool. They're like, it's also a musical. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of things happening. <laughs> Brian, you've written on shows, created shows, and adapted and developed shows based on books. How do you choose the projects and shows you work on, and if you want to work on your own uh, creation or someone else's? Uh, it just depends on what the property is and, and what the take is. Uh, for Hannibal, it was something that, what for me, being a fan of the literature as well as, as you know the first Michael Mann film that introduced me to the literature... I I was always surprised at the sticky places that people were not willing to go to in the adaptation about men and their complicated relationships. So that with that specific project, it felt like, oh, nobody's tapped into this strange vibe between Hannibal Lecter and Will Graham. So it felt like it was a valid reason to revisit that material. Yeah. Hannibal is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen, dude. Thank you. Like, I mean, visually, what you were able to do on that show, I mean, it would just, like, blow my mind away, dude. As, oh, thank a- you. Aesthetic-wise and just, like, how how is this on NBC and, right now, yeah, dude? I, I was constantly shocked at what they were yeah. letting you get away with, both in terms of, you know, the, the horror and the violence, but just the, yeah, the aesthetic. Like, th- that show doesn't look like TV. Like it, it, no, man, I, I I was like that shot that shot right there is at least a million dollars. And then the, and then the next shot would come up and I'd be like that's another million dollars right there. And that wasn't an expensive show. It was it was, you know, it's, it's primarily two people in a room talking, so it was actually fairly cost effective and and those beauty shots were just part of if I mean, if you're if you're using cinema to tell a story and it's not pretty, you're an asshole. but like comparing that to like american gods too right you have we were also talking about a wrinkle in time before we recorded and we were talking about like just kind of going in a completely different direction just like throwing something you know like a different look something in there that that we haven't seen before and just trying to go like crazy with it you know that that to me it's so different from what you're doing with with Hannibal. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I was also working with Michael Green, yeah. which was a wonderful uh, uh, partner to have in, in any sort of experience. But going through a television experience, which is fairly arduous and and uh, you're navigating a lot of personalities and a lot of limitations. And it's it's nice when you have a partner. So do you feel like what did you what did you bring to that partnership and what did he bring to that partnership 
you know, really it was about us having each other's backs and saying yes and. Like we were very, we had the improvisation uh, rules where when we, whenever in doubt, we had to yes and each other. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to no, don't do that. And it was, it was about encouraging each other's wildest instincts and, and saying yes and to each other. Was so, there any like wild instinct that you could even give us as an example where like maybe you're like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. And then he says, like, yes, and? We'll uh, put the body inside the deer. It will come out. <laughs> right, Don't yeah, worry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there were, on that show, you know, so, so many odd expressions of, of short films, really, where mm. we were looking to tell a mini story about something in particular. And uh, there, there wasn't anything, I mean, when we... When we shot the sex scene, the 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 gay Muslim sex scene, uh, and I wanted it to be reshot, Michael was very uh, supportive, and it was it was not an easy thing or a cheap thing to do. But uh, we were both very aware that we had entered peak television, and we had to put it all out there, and we didn't have a choice. We couldn't come up short mm-hmm. because it's it's way too competitive now. Yeah. And then, of course, when we saw uh, The Handmaid's Tale, we were like, oh, we're not getting anything this year. Like, it's that's, <laughs> that's, that's doing something on a different level and also a, about something that was much more timely and, and specific to to where we were last year, this year. Hopefully it ends soon. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, the the gay Muslim sex scene was was breathtaking, yeah. and and again, like, how is this on television? You know, and, and and that just from from the sort of like you know envelope pushing matter. But then you know the the whole Easter episode again, just such you know, and that that almost felt like the most sort of pushing daisies moment of the show in terms of the the pastels and the colors and the Kristen Chenoweth, you yeah. know. Um, but but you know, it, it, again, it's that sort of it's that visual style that no one else is doing. And and I'm 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 curious if it's is it a thing that means a lot to you, and that's why your shows don't look like other shows, or is it that other shows just don't put as much thought into what they look like as much as how they sound and how they're cut and how they're acted? Uh. Maybe yes is the way to answer that. I'm not sure. I, I, I just know how hard that I work at, at aesthetic and sound design and production design and wardrobe design. And I know how hard Michael works at it as well. And I, and I see it represented in other shows. I think if you look at what Noah Howley is doing is, mm. is masterful on television sure. and particularly uh, Fargo season two, yeah. I, uh, I would... It was the first time in a long time where I was like, no, Fargo's on tonight. I'm not doing shit but watching that show. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to watch it the, the moment that I could because I thought Kristen Dunst has never been better. Mm. And I'm sorry, Gaga, that was a crime. Uh, that was that was Kristen Dunst's Golden Globe. <laughs> uh, you were wonderful, but uh, and I and I do and I did feel with that show in particular that I was I was. I was learning something every week about storytelling and and taking chances, and that's why I love going to Noah Howley's work, because I do feel like he keeps on uh, pushing the boundaries and looking over his shoulder, and then the rest of us have to keep pushing and 
he acknowledges and pushes further and it's it he's he's a wonderful uh, peer to have in in this landscape because he is he is fearless and I love hearing a story about you know, after Fargo season one and it won all the awards and he was getting notes on season two and it was like, but I've already won all the awards. You can't say no to me now. <laughs> so, God do, bless him. Do do people in TV like do, you know we talk about having peers? Do you guys talk? Do you guys praise each other? Do you? Oh yeah, you know? yeah. Like when uh, I I'll email, uh, you know. Whether it's him, uh, where it's Noah or Damon Lindelof or Ryan Murphy about, you know, certain things that, that I feel like they've really raised the bar. And that's exciting because there is so much uh, content now and and it, it, it does get cluttered. So when you see that there there are people who are are, are putting their product on a higher shelf, you you. It's nice that that you're encouraging each other to, to keep going and keep pushing buttons and keep changing the format because you have no choice now but to be competitive and do something differently. Otherwise, you're just going to get swallowed by the clutter. I feel like uh, part of the clutter uh, is kind of social media and television audiences being so involved now and able to talk to uh, talk to showrunners and writers directly on Twitter and saying what they want and what they don't want out of a show. Do you ever feel any responsibility to what the audiences want? Do you not pay any attention to that and just stick to what your plan may be? Uh, you know, it's it's a mixed bag. Uh, I, I feel like most often it's already done and in the can by the time people are watching it. So any any reaction that they have, it's rare that it can affect change that season. Um, but I know of shows right now that are, uh, for instance, on, on Versace, I know that they, they reshot some of the finale to include an actress that, that popped with <laughs> earlier on in the season. So they were like, she connected, we loved her, let's, let's give her a little bit more in, in the finale. So that allowed them in real time to say, the audience responded to this character and this actor, let's do more. I always get worried when, the, oh, when I feel like the audience might be having too much of a voice on a show because I'm, I'm, I'm watching to see what you are trying to say and you are trying to show to me, not what, you know, like you said, I mean, I the collective whoever, whoever, yeah, decided. whoever yeah. decides, hey, yeah, we like this actress, put her more, and now you are stuck having to whether or not you like that actress or not. But now you have to feel like you have to put that person in the show. I'm like, oh, whose show am I watching now? And and there is a, there is a bit of that with the the fan interaction because if you kill a character that they they adore, that has a price. If, if you cure, kill a character that is not. Uh, a a a a white straight man. There's danger in that too because yep. uh, we should be going after the white straight man always. I mean, I've, been, <laughs> I've been saying that since day one, y'all. <laughs> There's so many of them. Well, statistically, a, a, a thing that I've been, that I've noticed that's been kind of odd about sort of the fan interaction or whatever is uh, a show like Westworld. I think in years past would have aired and there might have been 
enclaves of people sort of buzzing about trying to figure out what the twists were going to be. But this one, it felt like was so widely discussed. Well, we think this and here's our theory and here's my theory about what this means and blah, blah, blah. That by the time the show did reveal its surprises, it was kind of like, oh, yeah, we we talked about that. We got that like three weeks ago. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And so that's got to be a bitch to sort of like try and keep the stay ahead of the audience, I guess. Well, you're yes, a- absolutely, and and that's one of the interesting things about television in a widely discussed marketplace is that people are looking for spoilers. They're you know as much as like no spoilers, people want to figure it out. They want to figure out the puzzle box. They they want to get all the the colors of the Rubik's cube on one side and be able to to declare victory because they got ahead of the storytellers. But I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think it's because it, I mean I do that all the time when I'm watching a movie. I'm like, oh, they're going to go this way, and if they do, I feel a small victory. But I don't. Feel but you don't like... tweet it though. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. You don't do like a quick recap of it on a blog. For... No, <laughs> okay. not yet. It's a just... second career, man. I mean, I know you're busy, but <laughs> just like the 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 outcry that happened when when Lost ended and how upset people were about that. And I'm in the camp of I'm fine with how Lost ended. Like, right. I don't... I'm one of those people where it the show doesn't need to give me what I want. I just want to be, like, entertained. And if I get what I want, awesome, fantastic. Right. You know? Is there any kind of uh, philosophy that you have when you get to the finale of a show? Um, I guess for me personally it, it it really is about what's what's the button that's going to feel satisfying and you know for instance with Hannibal we thought every season was our last season so every season had a season and series finale and that wasn't uh, planned beyond having experience in this business where you don't know that you're gonna have another season so you have to you have to call it but there's there's so many I get why people are upset when an ending isn't satisfied because they've invested a hundred hours, if not some more, particularly in in uh, more traditional television fare. But when you do get that finale right, and you're you're leaving your audience on on such a high note, uh, you know, I, I the six feet under finale. I was that, just gonna say yeah. the last the last five <laughs> minutes. Like if I'm writing something emotional, I'll just pull that up on my iTunes and watch. Claire, you run through, you know, punch everybody's number and and check out herself, and it's incredibly satisfying. And it was and it was a finale that was intrinsic to the storytelling of the show. And even though that show had had ups and downs, and uh, it ended in a way that left me going back to it more often than I would a show where the ending I wasn't as invested in. Mm-hmm. I just I, watched the. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, I be thinking of that. Like, I need to ask about Wonder Falls then, because that's one where the ending. That was a bullshit ending. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love that show with such a deep passion. It's such Thank a fantastic you. collection of characters and really great storytelling. And I, it, it was one of those things where I remember connecting with it so hard. Because um, I'd gotten the DVDs, and I was just like, "Yes, I get to watch this," and and I and I was like, "Oh God, one more season, 
Just yeah. one fucking more season. <laughs> even two, nine two more, more episodes. episodes. I know. Nine like just episodes. like I would take even like two, three more episodes, and it, like I, I just. I we mean, had just such a, a great story for that too, and uh, I know there are Netflix executives who are big fans of the show, uh, and it's not available anywhere beyond the DVD. So it'd be great. I know, and a friend stole mine. What? Said she was going to give them back, and I. It's, it's been eight years. What a dick! <laughs> you know where she lives. Yeah. <laughs> Killer. Yeah. <laughs> but you know that's that. The, the back nine for that show was so exciting uh, that I, I, it still feels like it exists in my head. So there's, there's a better ending beyond that, that beautiful push in on Carolyn DeVarna. Uh, but uh, who, know, like, who knows? There's all of these sentimental revisitings of, of shows. I know. And I'm going to push Wonderfalls. <laughs> get, get the Wonderfalls campaign because Todd Holland and I talk about it all the time. I'm I'm going to ask, you know, you have a lesbian character in Wonderfalls too. I'm not into you because your genitals are on the outside. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a really great joke about fingernails in it. Yeah, I remember yeah. like that's not very, a joke. That is real science. It's, it's real. It's real. But I I I I loved that I mean, god, I can't remember what year that was, but I remember 2004. Yeah. Something like that. And so that was on Fox and mm. that came out and I remember seeing that and saying this is not something that I normally see in TV shows. So I mean, you've had like a fingernail clipping jokes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it and it felt real because you know I was just like, oh yeah, my lesbian friends like this is something that like they've like they talk about, they joke about that kind of thing. And so it just this is a, a track record that you've had of putting in um, LGBTQ characters in your. TV shows. Can you talk about that? Um, you know, it, it. I guess it just feels when you're creating a TV show and you're creating characters to experience the narrative through, you're always looking for horcruxes, you know, to little, little places that you can chop off your soul and, and put it into people. And so uh, with with the Katie Finneran's character on, on Wonderfalls, Todd and I talked, very, you know, as two openly gay men, uh, very specifically about having gay representation. But we just we didn't want to do ourselves. We wanted to do something that was going to be complicated and a character that was flawed and had some some rings to jump through. So by making her a very conservative in the closet lesbian who's you know a Republican and in a family of Republicans, and and how how her sister who is trying to find her own truth can help her find her truth was was something that we weren't we were we weren't even close to done exploring. Mhm. Ah oh, man. God, we have to start a campaign. <laughs> yes. Wonderfalls go fund me. <laughs> Look, I hear Netflix is hiring, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I was going to find out what the last four words of Gilmore Girls would be and now I know. So maybe, oh. you know, we can get the back nine of Wonderfalls. April, uh, I, have a, I have a question for April here. Not only is she uh, obsessed with uh, Wonderfalls, April, are there any shows you're obsessed with that may or may not star Angela Lansbury? Yes. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I love Murder, She Wrote. It's great. It's a great show. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, it is a phenomenal show with great character actors and 
all over the place. You're like, oh my god, they're in this too. I it's uh, every episode that I watch because I have all the DVDs, obviously, <laughs> and I watch them, watch them over and over, and I like do my own kind of research into the episodes and who wrote which ones and um, which directors are better and like the. Um, I have like a ranking of episodes oh from the directors. Because the, there's a difference in the directors of each episode, too. Of course, there's a difference obviously. in the writers. Clearly. And, I mean, it's true. There is. But the character actors, you know, that's the best part. And I, yeah. there After aren't that Love many... Boat and before Law and Order, it was all about murder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. But I mean, the uh, character actors are, are an underutilized um, uh, element, I think, of a lot of TV right now, because I think that people are supposed to just be beautiful. They can't be interesting or strange looking or something like that. But that's one thing I do appreciate about your shows, too. You have these All very... the ugly people? No. <laughs> just, they have like, people with interesting faces, people who I... I want to look at who I can distinguish them from each other. I watch right. a lot of TV and I'm like, I don't know. I can't tell these two blonde women apart. Like, I truly think they're the same person for half of the show. And sure. that's really difficult. Nobody looks like that leprechaun on American Gods. <laughs> no. Many bartenders do, though. Oh, well. <clears throat> I think of a show like, like, like you say in character actors, like I loved cop shows growing up. And like I, was, I loved NYPD Blue so much. And like Dennis Franz just being obsessed with this, I mean, he look. I mean, he's from Chicago. I, I'm 99% sure he's from Chicago, and I'm from Chicago. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that dude, Dennis Franz, looks like he could be my gym, my my gym school te- teacher, my teacher at school. He looks like he could be the, the cop in my neighborhood. Yeah. He looks like he could be the, the janitor in my building. You could buy a slice off of him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then, uh, like, a show like Homicide, where it had, like, you know, like, you know, uh, Andre Brower, who's mm. just, like, I could stare at that dude's face forever. I remember the first time I saw Melissa Leo on that show, and I was like, I'm pretty sure she's actually drunk in every ah. episode she's in, or extremely hungover. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just it's just something about the, the actors that have like certain looks on television oh, yeah. where I would the, just be the, so the, invested in the Sopranos. In you start getting oh, yeah. deep into those supporting yes. characters, and it's like. Y'all, the, 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 these, are they actually part of the New Jersey crime families? Because they look like they could. You know. well, I'm, I'm, watch, I'm watching Jessica Jones right now. Who's, who's your boy from Sopranos who owned the restaurant? Uh, oh, oh, uh, Artie, uh, Artie, Artie Bucco. Yeah. Artie Bucco shows up in uh, in Jessica Jones, and he looks like he used to have a shitty life where he owned a restaurant and couldn't handle it anymore. He's like, fuck it, I'm going up to New York to see what this cop business is like. <laughs> Well, back to uh, Murder, She Wrote, do you know yes, anybody please. or yes, have you so. ever heard of anybody who had a uh, Welcome to Cabot Cove tramp stamp? No, but I, I would totally get one. I swear, like zero no hesitation. hesitation, I would definitely get one. What stop? I think that's an episode. <laughs> what if we, like you just hear... <laughs> And we play the theme song over and over again. I've watched Murder, She Wrote so much that, um, and I've told this story before, but, um, and I don't skip the intros. I actually love intros. (laughs) No, the music is great. I and I love and the music just like it is a a serotonin inducer for me. (laughs) And my husband's just like, oh fuck again. But I've I've watched so much Murder, She Wrote that our neighbors um, across the the driveway across the way. Um, one of them plays the piano and um, uh, had started playing back the theme song to me as like a subtle way, not not so subtle way of telling me that like he hears all of the murder she wrote theme songs. Um, 
windows are open. And I think I just like, I think I maybe broke him. And or it's a mating call. <laughs> it's like in Electric Dreams where the yeah. computer and the, the cello are playing. Oh my God. I hope You're Lenny a- Van Dolan. <laughs> I, hope a, I hope a wild parrot comes to my window and just plays that song, sings that song to me someday. Do you know I've never seen an episode? I've really? never seen a murder show. You're an asshole. I know. I just There's the two assholes blood just never seen somehow it. never did. The blood just like drained from but my it, face. It's on Hallmark Mystery, so I have no excuse. I, it's on in my home all the time. <laughs> all the time. See you guys. <laughs> this is a learning moment for me. I will bring in my DVDs. I also have the the four TV movies that they made after. <laughs> now, uh, did the did the Columbo guys have anything to do with this? Yes. They they created the show. Columbo um, and Link. Yes, the Columbo um, uh, character actors. You'll see like certain seasons where they fall in love with someone, mm-hmm. where they switched them on the shows, um, and like the earlier seasons of Murder She Wrote overlapping with uh, Columbo, and it's it's really funny to see like the continuation of their stories and like the. <laughs> The writers who pop up on Murder, She uh, Wrote, who are on Columbo. It's like a weird family. I love it. Everybody poops on it, but I've always had a soft spot for uh, the, the, the the artist who would later be known as Captain Janeway, Kate Mulgrew, as oh, yeah. Mrs. Columbo. Yeah. <laughs> it was a ridiculous show, but I watched it faithfully as a kid anyway. She's also in one of my favorite episodes of Murder, She Wrote. Nice. She plays oh, yeah. a very wealthy woman. Um, who has some jewelry stolen, mm. or does she? Uh, <laughs> I won't give it away because I know all the listeners are going to go right now and watch that episode with Kate Mulder. Did you ever see The Mirror Cracked? No, I haven't. That's the movie where Angela Lansbury plays Miss Marple. Yeah. And apparently it's an Agatha Christie adaptation. Yeah. And apparently that's what sort of spawned her to go do Murder, She Wrote. Yeah, in her biography. I've, I've read both her biographies. <laughs> of course you have. That's, uh, that's in her biography, and she's talking about how it, um, that movie, despite the fact that she did not enjoy that movie, mm. um, it changed her life um, for the better, and then for the worse, and then for the better. Did she yeah. enjoy Death on the Nile? She did, and she thought that it was uh, the best time that she had because she got to work with um, Peter Ustinov, which is you know her mm. brother-in-law. And, um, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, because uh, they knew each other from when they were back in England when they had to escape the, the bombings. The Blitz. Uh, the Blitz, yeah. So they had to be refugees coming to America as actors. Mm. And um, so, yeah, she loved working mm. on that. And she loves playing kind of like a, a tipsy heiress. <laughs> she loved it. We have anyway, entered sorry. a level of older white <laughs> woman television. Oh, shit. It's I'm an so inception sorry. level that I'm getting, I have, like, I'm, I'm getting so like sweaty. Right I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> we all uh, we, we all we all came up with questions that we we, we, we wanted to ask you. So I, I want to ask another question, uh, 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 Brian, just about show finales. I, I really am just kind of like uh, obsessed with them, and w- w- whether they are good or bad are there any that that stick out to you that are, are really great or or that are just terrible that you were so disappointed in well i already played my six feet under card yes gosh one of the producers wrote quantum leap i put that was me i'm a quantum leap man i'm a quantum leap man that's me i don't remember the finale i don't it's that that was actually one that i i was just like it's so it, it felt so far removed from the show but fit in with the show of like it just sam is just out there who knows where sam ends up i mean the the final the the, the finale of the show is sam leaps into himself and he's in this bar 
and uh, the bartender reveals himself to be God. And everybody who's in the bar is somebody that Sam has interacted with throughout all his years of leaping on the show. And they all say Malkovich. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, you, 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 he's, God tells him, you have one more mission to go. And his last mission is that he jumps into Dean Stockwell's character, uh, who is like Sam's partner. And he has to fix uh, Al's marriage, uh, save Al's marriage. And then from there, Sam leaps to we never know. Oblivion. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I was like 16 or 17 years old when I watched this. And I was just like, I don't understand all these things about saving a marriage. And what? That's so sad. Yeah, and also, yeah, I'm sad right now. It's very different from, like, the Wings finale. I have a funny story about the Lost finale. Oh, yeah. I live blogged the Lost finale for a website having never watched Lost. Oh, wow. So it was the first episode of Lost I'd ever seen. Holy wow. shit. And I was trying to make sense of what the hell was going on. <laughs> and did you? Could you? Oh, of course not. No. <laughs> I like. I didn't even know there was a second island in the second plane, so I was completely <laughs> baffled. But uh, uh. but I was noticing all the really obvious, like, you know, uh, uh, symbolism, like the, 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 the name of the dead body that's being transported is like, Christian something like it was. Oh, his Christian soldier. Basically, yeah, Christian soldier might as well have been. Christian shepherd. That was it. I'm like, oh come on, show. (laughs) (laughs) I've been watching you for ten minutes and I'm already rolling my eyes. I mean, there's this is one that I don't know. I mean, maybe our listeners are very. They know a lot of things. I I loved the finale of the Prisoner, the seventy show. That's fucked up. Mm. This is great show. That yeah, was like the it things just like went to their inevitable just insanity uh, at the end, and it, that's a case for like let's not ha- we don't have to last for ten seasons like let's just like get in there do it and get out yeah you know? whoa yeah highly recommend the prisoner for just a quick mind fuck yeah, yeah. that's like like heady ass sci fi. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. I, Patrick McGowan. Mm. What, what, what are my favorite names? McGowan. <laughs> Brian, what's your McGowan? Did you grow up on the book Fantastic Television? No. Oh God! This was a book that we had in my school library, and it was all about like Twilight Zone and Star Trek, and you know the Time Tunnel and Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, like all these sort of oh, sci-fi oh, genre. Star shows. Trek Next Generation had a fantastic season, series. Finale. Oh, oh, yes. one, of yes. one of the best. One of the best. Absolutely, one of the best. Started yes. to interrupt. No, no, no. Well, anyway, but it was one. just it was just yes. funny because like that that was that was the internet before there was the internet because that show would actually list the episodes and the titles and the names of things. And uh, my friend, my best friend, and I had a running joke because we'd both. We're obsessed with that book as teenagers, and there's a whole chapter on Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and like every other plot synopsis starts with "There's trouble aboard the Sea View when <laughs> some oh, bullshit happens." There's <laughs> trouble aboard the Sea View. I love that. <laughs> that Star Trek: The Next Generation finale was one of those all good things. Ricky, it's okay to cry at the end of a TV show. <laughs> that chat where they're just they're like, just playing cards. They're just playing they're cards, playing man. Cards. They're just playing cards. Like he's he's finally like at their level and being a friend with them, Captain Picardio. God damn, that is beautiful. <gasps> you just unlocked it. They're playing cards with Pat oh. Picard. <laughs> Picard was in his name the entire oh, time. It's, it's the just... equivalent of Christian Shepard. <laughs> Christian Shepard. <laughs> we just oh, Christian Shepard it's the it. same thing. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. It, it, it could I'm not trying be. to remember Deep Space Nine, the ending. Deep Space Nine had a great ending, too, mm-hmm. where uh, Cisco became a prophet and, and ascended to... 
Uh, well, he jumped into a pit, but yeah. the argument is <laughs> he ascended. <laughs> yeah, which is, it's a wrap-up for to save the, the beginning marriage. of yes. the... <laughs> oh, my God. To, yes. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Deep Space Nine, I mean... It, 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 I love Deep Space Nine. so great. Oh, my so God. Great. It's all about, like, like embassies and shit. I love it. It's just, like, it's about <laughs> peacekeeping. That yes. Pilot, that is the best Star Trek pilot. Yes. For the emissary. So great. Oh, I thought, part one and part two. Oh, God. The questions that they keep asking in the part one and the, you know, like, what is... Because he's sad about his wife dying. Oh, <laughs> it, it is. And, like, and why he's... do you keep going back here? <sighs> it's so sad. It's I love it. Yeah. It is, it is doing what science fiction and Star Trek do best, which is exploring grief. Exploring something about humanity in a science fiction context. In this case, it was grief. Oh, God, I love that show. I was on a run through the uh, Hollywood Reservoir about a month and a half ago, and I ran right by uh, Rene Auberginal. And, oh, man, I was like, I look like too much of a sweaty, hot mess to be like <laughs> yeah. when I was in high school. Every, yes, like every Saturday and Sunday afternoon on WGN, bro, you made me so happy. And he's, he's so good in that um, Kelly Reichardt's Certain Women um, yes, and it's one of those things where I, he's an Altman guy, and I, I Is that almost, right? Yeah, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, a bunch of movies. Yes, I, I almost jumped. It's like a nice indie movie. And I almost jumped up, and I was just like, "Oh no!" <laughs> <laughs> so excited. Oh god! And it just occurred to me that my my friend Kurt, the one who was of the trouble aboard the Sea View, uh, he and I were also big MST obsessive surprise, Mr. Yeah. Science Theater. And uh, there was a moment where I was living somewhere where I didn't have cable or, or no, we didn't, I didn't get the sci-fi channel when they moved to sci-fi channel. So he was sending me these VHS tapes. And one of the things that he sent me, just because he thought I would like it, even though I've never been much of a, of a Trek fan, is the uh, uh, Arachnida episode oh, of, Bride of, of uh, Bride of Chaotica. Thank you. From a Voyager, which oh. Brian wrote. And that was my first <laughs> exposure to that show at all was because like oh you would totally get this how much do you lose your mind when you get a star trek gig i mean that's it's pretty exciting you know it's it's such a fantastic world and the universe i mean star trek does what i like to do in storytelling which is find science fiction ways of looking at humanity or some aspect of humanity whether that's you know people who don't touch and pushing daisies and that being a, a weird metaphor for the post-trauma of, of my generation of gay man not being able to touch without the scythe hanging over your bed. And so I, I like finding those, those, those human metaphors. I love generation so much. So great. So not the best. movie generations. Not no. Yeah. Actually, Very disappointing. <laughs> we had to talk. One of one of my guests on Switchblade Sisters select Mariana Polka, who you've probably seen in Glow. She selected Generations as her favorite genre movie to talk about. Star Trek Generations. Yeah. Did you slap her? No. I got. It took me like five watches to get through it, but I finally got through it. But after talking with her and understanding why she loved it, I said, Oh. I think I could probably just watch it all the way through once now. I wouldn't have to keep stopping and being like, what the fuck just happened? Why is this happening? And just hearing someone who loved it, it changed my opinion. It's, um, is, is that the most talked about Switchblade Sisters? It I, is. I hear about it all the time. It is. It is the, the most talked about. People are just, um, they're, they're so excited. They're like, I hate this. I can't believe that you made me watch this, but I'm also very grateful. <laughs> I, you know, there. I haven't met a Star Trek that I didn't like. 
So there is something in all of those movies and all those stories. Like it's going to be better than a lot of sci-fi that's out there anyway yes. because it's just it's Star Trek. So yeah. How did you feel about Discovery having sort of shepherded a lot of it and Christian shepherded a lot of it and, <laughs> then, oh, no. and, yes. and then parting ways with it what once what what finally wound up what they finally wound up with how did you feel about it um you know I I don't have CBS all access so I haven't seen it ah. <laughs> uh, but for for me you know it was it was fascinating to work on all of the design stuff and and actually when I saw the first pictures and I saw the first uh, glimpse of the uniform, I I was strangely freed from an obligation of watching it because it's so on that level did not look like the show I imagined. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I, I haven't I haven't seen it. And when I saw the uniforms, I was like, oh, that's not what I imagined. Those uniforms, it wasn't the designs that we had finished. Right. So I, like I instantly felt like, oh, I'm not obligated to this. I, I wrote two scripts and we had an outline for the entire season and we had out, uh, uh, outlines for the first five episodes when I left. And I think a lot of that, that changed. Hmm. And we've been talking a lot about the sci-fi shows. Uh, I just want to ch- change gears real quick there. Uh, favorite sitcoms uh, of all time? That people have that you may have, Brian, not including Bob's Burgers, no, like like <laughs> like a a regular old sitcom. But no, I, I mean, there's no 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 parameters and any, anything that. Uh... I mean, it could include Frasier or not. Uh, <laughs> uh... <laughs> Does Quark count? Oh my God! With I... Betty One and Betty Two, I, Richard know, Benjamin. I grew up in Atlanta, and our NBC affiliate wouldn't show Quark. Like they were somehow offended by it. So I've never seen Quark to this day. I I remember loving it uh, as a child, but I can't imagine it being anywhere near good. Yeah, I, I've discovered the hard way. You don't want to revisit yeah. certain childhood favorites. Let go of your past. Kill it if necessary. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say, I did grow up watching the Mary Tyler Moore show, and I have yeah. watched it all the way through twice as an adult, and that show kills. Yeah. <laughs> so solid. Holds up so well. Yep. Great ensemble. I mean, not just great performers, but I mean, great characters and great, like, the the blueprint of a great workplace comedy. Yeah. All in the family. Also. All in the family. Although, All in the Family feels more dated than Mary Tyler Moore does, even though they were they were concurrent. Fuck you. <laughs> I, 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 look, I, I think there's a lot of smart stuff in All in the Family, and I think it's a great show, but I, there are moments that feel so, like, 70s in the way that it's doing it, you know? But on, on that token, I love the reboot of One Day at a Time, which mm-hmm. is doing a lot of the same stuff in terms of, like, topicality and issue humor, but always sort of landing the punchline to keep it from being too much of a slog. Yeah, that that show is so fucking good. It's mm. real good. Rita Moreno just has... Oh, she's she's so fucking good. Yeah. She's amazing. I, uh, I wouldn't say I grew up in the roughest neighborhood in Chicago, but it was a little bit of a, of a rough neighborhood in Chicago. So there were certain things I was always afraid to admit to my friends so I wouldn't kind of come off as a wussy of some sort. But, you know, it's like, you know, yes. Your we will... Cabot Cove tramp stamp. Yeah. <laughs> it's just about the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> I mean, we, we would always talk about loving the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and a different world. But, like, the show, like, sitcoms that I just... It made me feel like, oh, man, I got the fucking secret. Nobody else is watching about this. I'm a grown-ass man, and I'm only 14. Like, I love Cheers so much. Yeah. Mm. I loved uh, 
I mean, obviously the Cosby Show. Granted, it's kind of a, a bit stained now. Are you Shelley Long or Kirstie Alley? Kirstie Alley, yeah. uh, Kirstie Alley. I mean, just for pu- 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 you know pubescent reasons of like, I just loved her <laughs> so much. I was like, hello, my name is Ricky, uh, and I mean, it, it, Shelley Long, Diane. I, I I was in I was in the Carla camp where like every time I would hear her voice I'd be like oh somebody fire her already yeah just, but you watch it when you get I, okay so I I watch about two episodes of Cheers a night like just to fall, yes. like before bed mm-hmm. and uh the, when you get older and you start watching Diane you're like oh shit she's fucking right like, no yes. I know I was like, totally oh team my Diane. god why did I hate her so much she's hilarious <laughs> and um she was giving Sam exactly what he deserved and she was the one who was right about all this stuff it's yeah. totally <laughs> switch but I was like you I was like you yeah you, you like I've gone back and watched episodes with Diana and I've learned to just like appreciate like man they were two different shows being able to like just start going in another direction with another new character and just like the comedy is Maintain. Yeah, to to, to to stick that landing is really tricky. So many shows, I think, go off the rails with a major cast change like that, and I, so that was well. Both of those actresses are <clears throat> fantastic comedians. So yeah. no, but but I'm saying like even even if you if you have an established show and one person leaves, you can you can replace that person with somebody who is equally brilliant, but they just never quite get the footing back. You yeah. know, are you Dick York? Uh, no, he's he's another one of the rare examples where it worked. But I'm thinking like the later episode, the later years of designing women, when oh. when people started like when Annie Potts or no, did Jean Smart left? Jean Smart left, Jean I Smart think, left. and and I think uh, Delta Burke left, and you know they were throwing like you know when they threw in, um, uh, oh God, I adore her. Uh, 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 the tour guide and the the Alamo from oh, yeah. uh, Jan Hooks. Yeah, she was great. But then once they, by the time they got to like, you know, Julia Duffy, and then I don't even remember. Like there, there, there were some Lily Tomlin. I think was in there at some point. Oh, wow, just some like people who are great, but the show had no idea what it was even doing. Anymore. <laughs> That's like Golden Girls when they replaced B. Arthur with Don Cheadle. Yeah, the Golden Palace. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, you're no. telling me Don Cheadle. Was on the Golden Girls? Sorry. On the Golden Palace, yeah. The Golden yes. Palace, the spinoff after Golden Girls, well, and, and, and it was... Yeah, my, my friend Jim Colucci has written like two books about Golden Girls. He's this super expert. And he says the reason that Golden Palace didn't work was because like Golden Girls was this fantasy of like, well, when you get old, you can go live in Florida and you'll share a house with your friends and you'll have wacky escapades. And then in Golden Palace, it's like, oh, no, no, now you're going to be old and you have to work for a living. Yeah, you also hotel. have to work. It's like, that sounds terrible. And then poor Don Cheadle, you know? He's just... He's a trooper. Yeah. This is blowing my mind right now that John Cheadle was on this show. He went from Golden Palace to Hotel Rwanda. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, I think we only have a little bit of time left, Brian. So uh, we asked uh, some of our listeners on Facebook and Twitter if they had any questions they could, uh, they'd could they like to ask you while we had you in the studio here. So uh, are you ready to field some of these? Sure. All right. So first off from... Telcot Star. This goes deep. I know. Wow. Already question number one yeah. coming in hot. All right. <laughs> in Voyager, you created the Klingon barge of the dead that ferries dead Klingons to the equivalent of hell. Discovery introduces the ship of the dead where Klingon caskets are placed on the outside of the starship. Did you imagine these both being part of the same Klingon religious tradition and what goes into inventing aspects of a religion for a non-human species? That's a great question. Um, The the short answer is yes. Uh, I love doing Barge of the Dead, and they're they're 
there were so many aspects about doing that original episode of Voyager that we weren't able to produce. And there's an alternate version of that that was very exciting that involved Belana Torres leading the charge of dead Klingons and, and climbing over the gates of Klingon hell and rescuing her mother and saving her soul. And it was all Holy really shit. great. And uh, we couldn't figure out how to produce it. So it just ended very quickly. Uh, but uh, in, in planning the Klingons and looking at what to do with the Klingons, so much discussion was, was happening with, uh, you know, who are the Klingons today? What, what is their fear of, of, hom- of, of homogeny? Like basically the opening line with the Klingons was talking about how they're, we wanted, we wanted the audience to feel like they were talking about the Borg, that they were facing the greatest threat to Klingons, somebody who would take away their identity and cultural specificity and make remake them in their own image, and they wouldn't look like themselves or dress like themselves or drive the same kind of cars. And then you're like, no, it's not the Borg, it's Starfleet, and what really is that organization about, and how is that fearful to people who really care about their their culture and their their race and how it's going to be preserved and viewed so um it's it's hard not to to humanize an alien species because that's the root of of all star trek which is no matter how alien people are they're actually quite human in how they interact with each other that's what's up there you go. Well, I hope you. you know, I hope you got what you're looking for there, Talcott. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, I'm, I feel like I've been I've been reading a lot. Alonzo, do you want to take this uh, next uh, one? Sure. At uh, Tara Dunderdale asks, your work so often depicts the experience of grief and mourning. What is your favorite depiction of grief from a piece of pop culture you weren't involved in? Probably the finale of of Six Feet Under. Mm. You know, I keep going back to it. It's very emotionally powerful. It's it, it's a great easy cry for me, oh, and yeah. it just sums up the life experience so beautifully with characters that you were very I was very attached to for for seven seasons. I remember I cried watching that episode, and then I cried again on the drive home from our friend's house where we watched it. Yeah, thinking about it. Wow, <laughs> that's great. Uh, we have a question from Peggy Hanna. Wants to know how did you develop the look of pushing Daisy? Excuse me. How did you develop the look of pushing daisies, uh, parentheses? And can you talk about how your shows have such distinct but very dis- different looks? At what part of the creation process does the visual look get finalized? Well, the visual look of the show uh, evolves very much uh, from from the script phase through the final color timing uh, of the of the series. For for pushing daisies, I was very fortunate to be working with Barry Sonnenfeld. Uh, and strangely enough, when I was writing the script for that, before even knowing that he was going to direct the pilot and help me create the world, I was listening to the Adams Family Values uh, soundtrack by Mark Shaman on on repeat. <laughs> so he was he was in the DNA very early on. And then Michael Wiley, who is a brilliant production designer, who is the production designer on Legion and uh, uh, on, among other like amazing shows. And so working with working with really talented people who share the same vision and we get a yes and each other is is the way to go. Uh, at several bad puns would like to know if you could reboot one of your old projects, which would you choose? Personally, I miss Dead Like Me every day. Um, Dead Like Me would probably be the one that I reboot because the, the revisitations to Pushing Daisies and Wonderfalls and Hannibal all feel like 
continuations, but I think uh, Dead Like Me feels like it would be fun to reboot. Pushing Daisy's Broadway musical, is that ever happening? You know, we keep talking about it, and, you know, I just, I, I need to get Tim Minchin in a steamer trunk with a ball gag, and, <laughs> and then we'll talk. That could happen. We could make that happen. Um, there's a couple of questions that we, uh, that we had uh, from Paris Hardy and Anthony Peranto. They were asking, um, can you say anything about the upcoming Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles show or the uh, Hannibal season four? <laughs> um, the the series document for Christopher that Christopher Rice wrote for the the Vampire Chronicles and or the, the Vampire Lestat is one of the best season one documents that I've ever read in my career. It is exactly the show that I want to watch as an audience member. And uh, so you've got wonderful things to look forward to with that. And and as far as Hannibal season four goes, it it, it is a constant conversation. Uh, we're, Martha De Laurentiis and I are, are, are frequently talking about it. We've engaged with Galmont, who is the studio. We've also tried to engage with MGM and see if there was a way to bring Clary Starling into yes. this world. And it, that doesn't seem like it's going to work because every time we we do that, there's a little bit of a dance and a little bit of a hope, and it ultimately falls back to we really want to do something with Clarice ourselves that doesn't involve Hannibal. Mm. I'm not interested in that show. <laughs> but, you know, they own the property. And for me, Clarice is defined by her relationship with Hannibal and her reaction to Hannibal. So, uh, yeah, he's like her father figure in a weird way at some point. Or at least that's the way I saw it. I've been watching a lot of Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> uh, and and I think that there is she, it's a brilliant character. And uh, but the the Hannibal season four that we're talking about will probably very likely not involve Clarice and will likely involve every other character on the show that you've seen. And there was, I think, some some speculation regarding the Anna Klumsky character and whether or oh, not yeah, yeah. she was sort of the the substitute. Clarice, basically. She was the substitute Clarice for the uh, for a bit, but she kind of went on to her own story. And there's, you know, I, I've I've spoken to Anna about where would we take her character. You know, something that I would love to do uh, in a season four is to see where she went and have her be a big part of it. And there's something interesting about a woman in her position who was a faithful soldier of the FBI who got caught up in a a, a terrible uh, abduction and violation of her being. And what does the FBI do with those people, those agents who, who've been so broken by their assignment? And, you know, what is her reaction to being discarded by the institution that she invested her entire life in? And, mm -hmm. and there, it feels like there's a really rich story to be told there. And, and a lot of what... Uh, I'd like to do in a, in a potential Hannibal season four is get all of those characters back into into the world and reacting to events in a way that feels like they are are genuine people who survive these events, and that includes you know Reba and 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 uh, and, and Chalumpke's Chomsky's character. So they're Basically, season four is going to be even more fanboy-y than uh, <laughs> the previous three seasons. 
Well, all right. Yeah, uh, does anybody have any last question they want to ask before we get to our staff picks? I, I'm I've, I'm spent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Are you in a refractory period? <laughs> well, we usually end our show with staff picks. Uh, when we do our regular podcast, we end it with a movie recommendation. But because we're talking TV, we're going to recommend a show that we think our listeners should uh, check out. April, what show would you like to recommend this week? Uh, it's one of my favorite shows on television. Um, it's not a Brian Fuller show. I feel like that would be cheating if I said anything <laughs> about you. Um, uh, I would highly suggest that people catch up with the Americans if they have not oh, started. Yes. Because um, I believe this is the last season, and I think all things are just going to blow the fuck up. And it is just one of the most carefully planned and plotted shows that I've ever seen on television. I love the cinematography. The production design has so many textures. Everything just feels interesting. And and I, I love this world that they've made in these characters. And it's about Russian spies living in the U.S. as Americans during the Cold War. Yeah. Alonzo? Uh, well, I was going to say the Americans. But... Oh, shit. Yeah, sorry. So, no, it's fine. Uh, me first. <laughs> I, uh, I am a big fan of Billions on oh. Showtime. Um, and what I like about it is that my allegiances are constantly shifting uh, because you have um, – uh, I'm blanking on the name. I always want to call him Brody because he was Brody on Homeland. Um, you know, that guy. Oh, um, yeah. The red-haired dude. The red-haired dude. Yes. Uh, <laughs> who is like this sort of, you know, titan of business who's kind of self-created and has very little moral compass but, you know, is rapacious and very successful. Uh, and then you've got Paul Giamatti as the, like, you know, the, the DA for New York who is constantly hounding this guy and trying to, like, break him. And Damian Lewis, thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. Um, and so, uh, you know, and, and I went in being Team Giamatti because, you know, I'm Team Giamatti. Sure. But, uh, but, uh, You'd be but, an asshole not to be. Exactly. <laughs> but, like, every so often, like, I find myself sympathizing with Damien Lewis and, uh, you know, with uh, his wife who is played by – I don't have any of the names in front of me today. I've interviewed this woman. And I really should know this. Uh, she's great. Uh, you know, so – you know, I, I'll suddenly be like, oh, no, no, wait, they have a point. They should get away with this. And I like them. And, oh, come on, Giamatti, cut them a break. And so it's this, <laughs> it's this constant back and forth. Uh, Malin Ackerman, she's mm. great. Oh. Um, and so it's, 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 a really, yes. it's a really smart show. And, um, uh, you know, just a, a deep bench of great character actors, including um, – uh, Asia Kate Dillon, uh, you know, who is playing this fascinating sort of non-gender binary character uh, that we don't usually get on TV, and uh, it's 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 a dynamite show. You should check it out. That's what's up. That's what's up. I'll I'll go back to Atlanta. I think Atlanta is is doing uh, is telling stories that we don't get to often see on television. Every show should have Cat Williams and an alligator. Yes. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> alligator man! That? How great was that? I was. Amazing. Right. Right. I love Cat Williams. That's like the only time I haven't seen him completely soaked in sweat. <laughs> Stand up specials. It's just like oh, they spray yes. him and they go on. I have to give a quick shout out to the character actor Kelly O'Coin, who is Pastor Tim on The Americans. Oh, God. He's, uh, but he he's is, so creepy. He's also oh. Dollar Bill on Billions, and he's oh, great. Okay. <laughs> he's got a great wig in The Dollar Americans. Dollar Bill? Yes. That's, That's awesome. one of uh, Mrs. Deagle's cat's names in Gremlins. Come on, old dollar bill. Oh, that's oh my right. God, is it? He's yeah. also a member of the Minutemen in the Watchmen comics. So. <laughs> I, uh, that is, that's correct. That's absolutely right. Yeah. 
I'm I'm going I'm I'm getting in a time machine and going back to a show that I just loved watching. I don't know where you can find it. I have one. I have the the, the box set of the first season uh, on DVD. Uh, it's NYPD Blue. Oh, I loved that show so much. Uh, you like butts? I, I love butts. I <laughs> uh, love David Caruso's ass on a Tuesday night. Always made me happy. Uh, <laughs> And just again, how we were talking with uh, about Cheers, uh, going from uh, uh, Shelley Long to Kirstie Alley, when it went from David Caruso to Jimmy Smits, mm-hmm. I just thought that show went other level. And at a time when there wasn't uh, male Latino leads in television, and here comes Jimmy Smits and taking Father control of, of a Princess show. Leah. Yes, yes, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Uh, taking control of a show. And uh, and the show does not lose quality, and I do think one of the best shows, uh, on t- one of the best episodes of television, is the episode. One of it is his last episode on the show, where uh, unfortunately he passes away. But at, again, that was a time where I was like, Ricky, I'm crying watching a television show, which an 18 year old ass. We're not telling anybody about this. Uh, I cried when Jessica died on soap. <laughs> I cried when the Imperfect Strangers they moved out of their apartment. No, <laughs> like that's no no shame, man. Seriously, I cried when the lady died in the other side of the mountain. Oh, incapacitated. But that's a movie and a oh. different program. Yes. <laughs> it's like NYPD Blue is also one of the few times I got upset at my mom and let her know I am upset at you because this is back in the time when you had to program your VCR to record a television <laughs> show, <laughs> and I had to work at JC Penny that night, and I programmed my VCR to record the episode, and I came home from work and she had pushed the wrong button, and I was like, Mom. We we had a conversation. We had a conversation, and I feel bad about it now because I could tell she was disappointed. But NYPD Blue, if you could watch it, shout out to Mike Post's theme show from that music, uh, just fantastic. Uh, I want to say thanks to the listeners and the Max Fun subscribers who make Who Shot Ya and all the other Max Fun shows possible. Brian, I mean, dude, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here, yo. I've I always like to geek. I always like to super geek out at the end so I can be professional. Oh, man, this is so dope that you're here, dude. Like, shit, yo. Shit, dude. Goddamn, son. So dope. Very so happy dope. to be here. Thank yeah. you very much. You can't see it, but we're bowing. Yes, yo. They're not. Most. They're not bowing at all. It was a really easy thing to say and not yeah. do. <laughs> Brian, you're a Twitterer. Where can people find you? Thank you. Uh, at, at Brian Fuller. I was an early adopter. That's right. And I, it was, I, you were one of the few people I remember when you would actually do uh, live tweets for Hannibal on both coasts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did that for uh, American Gods, too. It's, 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 it's a ball. It yeah. is a ball to watch with the people who want to watch. Thank you again for being here, Brian. Alonzo, April, as always. Thank you all. Thank you, listeners. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Thank you, you subscribers. Thank you, MaxFun listeners, subscribers. The show, it, it doesn't happen without y'all listening, so we thank you very dearly. If you want to holler at us about TV shows or tell us what we should have asked Brian about but did not, you can tweet us at WhoShotYaPod or you can send us an email at WhoShotYa at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. This has been a production of MaximumFun.org, and that's what's up. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture.
Artist owned. Listener supported.